Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. 150 years ago, Supreme Court nominations weren't the spectacle they are now. This was a time when nominees' private lives weren't that much of an issue, if at all. Episodes from the past, like the sexual harassment allegations against Clarence Thomas in 1991 and the sexual assault allegations today against Brett Kavanaugh, passed with fleeting interest. For example, in 1890, Henry Brown sailed through the confirmation process after being accused of shooting and killing someone. The story of the shooting originated from an unlikely source, Brown's friend and neighbor, Senator James McMillan. One night, McMillan told reporters outside the Capitol, a masked burglar entered Brown's home. Brown pulled out a gun from beneath his pillow, McMillan said, and then greeted the burglar by shooting him in the head. The New York Sun's correspondent wrote that the burglar escaped, but lived long enough to be captured and convicted, and later died in prison from his wound. So, just how did Brown easily win confirmation with blood on his hands? Was it because his advisors prepped him well for questions, or because he had convincing character witnesses? Nope and nope. Back then, the sort of spectacles that take place now didn't exist because Supreme Court nominees never appeared in public to testify. The Senate Judiciary Committee, created in 1816, worked on these nominations behind closed doors. Before 1870, about one-third of the nominations weren't even sent to the Judiciary Committee for review. And back in Henry Brown's time, there were only nine members on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Today, there are 21, not to mention dozens of lawyers, investigators, consultants, you name it. That makes for a lot of questions. News traveled slower back then, too, and that made it more difficult for controversy to take hold. Or for the real story to emerge. While some newspapers characterized Henry Brown shooting a burglar as manslaughter, many called him a hero or a man of iron nerve. The New York Tribune said his bravery proved that he would have no trouble sticking by his convictions on the court. But did the media have the story correct? Brown himself was mystified at the reports. Yes, he told the few reporters who had sought him out, an armed masked man had shown up in his bedroom in May of 1885, and yes, he had fired at the burglar. But killed him? Actually, we might never know. There was no trail of blood, Brown said. No suspect captured a short time later. No proof his bullets had found their mark, although several had been found in the house's walls and ceiling. All the papers contained graphic accounts of Judge Brown's affray with a burglar, the Detroit Free Press wrote with disdain. This story, as told, is rather more picturesque than it was ever told at home. In the end, the Senate Judiciary Committee didn't ask a single question about the incident. On December 29, 1890, in its first meeting after the nomination less than a week earlier, the committee acted quickly and he was approved as the nation's 52nd justice. Now, undoubtedly, 
there would be numerous questions about Brown's past. Tough, important questions like the nomination process entails today. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Steve Luxenberg for reporting this story for The Washington Post. And for more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.